Well, good morning. It's good to be in God's house this morning. It's always an honor to be able and be asked to uh, share His Word with others. But there's one issue this morning, and Robin can attest to it. Randy's not a multitasker. And uh, this morning, uh, my mind's a little bit in El Paso. It's a little bit up in Dayton, Ohio. And in fact, I thought about changing everything up this morning and decided not to. But let's not forget to remember those families, those left behind of those that have been that evil has taken its part in the world and affected each one of those families uh, today. Let's remember them uh, this morning as, as we pray together and meet together. Now, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, Tozer writes, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I believe that, that can be read again. I want you to catch it. Get your gloves on. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. No people have ever risen above its religion and no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. It also goes on to say, until we see ourselves as God sees us, we are not likely to be much disturbed over conditions around us as long as they do not get so far out of hand as to threaten our comfortable way of life. This uh, Tozer uh, passed away, I believe, in 1963, so this was written prior to that. We have learned to live with unholiness and have come to look upon it as the natural and expected thing. And that's a shame because that's the natural progression of a culture that has forgotten God that's the natural result of a people that have forgotten God, and that's the natural result of a nation that has forgotten God and looks totally and puts the light upon themselves. And so I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of 1 John, the book of 2 John, and the book of 3 John, and the Gospel of John. And then we might hit Acts just a little bit off. I don't mean to frighten you this morning, but using the verse that's going to be our opening verse in chapter 5 and verse 20, I want to center in on the word understanding that John says has been given us by uh, the Son of God who came. I want to cover all three epistles of John this morning, not for any other reason than to challenge a closer relationship in heaven and here on earth between us and saints with a single purpose. And so let's look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20, and that'll be our springboard for this morning. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. For without it, we know nothing of you, Lord. We have no thoughts of you. But Lord, because of your word, we can understand our relationship with you where you want that relationship to be, Lord. And that's my prayer this morning, Lord, that you hide me behind the cross, Lord, and, and challenge each and every one, Lord, where we stand right now, 
where we sit right now in your favor, whether it's at a distance or whether it's close to your breast. Show us these things this morning, Lord. Help us to understand where you want us this morning, your will, your plan for our lives, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Historically, among overthinking theologians, there is some controversy about the authorship of John 1, 2, and 3, the epistles. But I agree with Mr. Schofield that it was the Apostle John because of a comparison with the Gospel of John and John's references that we'll uh, be looking at a little bit this morning. Now, it was written between 90 and 95 A.D. It was written in the first century to first century churches, likely while ministering in a leadership in churches close to those around Ephesus. Addresses uh, to smaller, younger children, uh, assemblies, uh, younger churches, assemblies, and persons in these churches, John is dealing with issues common to a number of churches from Jerusalem through Asia Minor and all the way up to Rome. Everywhere the gospel was being believed and multitudes were being saved in the first century. Those uh, that were invading churches uh, of the type that Paul warned us about in Miletus, and we in the, uh, in the uh, uh, iLife class, in the college and career class, we've been studying the book of Galatians. And for those of you that might not have a clear understanding, Galatians, the, the book of Galatians was not written to a church in a town called Galatia. It was written to a number of multiple churches in the land of Galatia, which was like a county or a province. It was written to many churches there. And in those many churches, the Jewish people were following Paul and coming in and teaching that they ought to be following the law rather than grace. And that is exactly what John is going to be talking to here, and then also some issues that are in the church. But there's a, there's a, there was a, a, a sect of people that were going throughout the land that were following the apostles, that were following the disciples, and going into these churches and teaching wrong doctrine, just as we have today in the churches that are springing up and in the good churches that we have. But in... Um, in, in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 through 30, and I happen to believe that uh, 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 the, the apostle John is, is in this because as you could read in, in Acts chapter, in John chapter, uh, in 1 John, or in 2 John and 3 John, every once in a while John is called the elder. And so as we see here, if you were to look on up earlier in this chapter in Acts, Paul asked for the elders that are within Ephesus to come, that he wanted to speak to them. He wanted to have a, t a preacher's meeting here, and he wanted to talk to them about things that were going on in all the churches. So if you look with me in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 through 30, Paul says here, and he's talking to preachers here, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And then he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing, Paul says, After I die, after I leave, shall grievous wolves, ravenous wolves, enter among you, not sparing the flock, not caring who they hurt, whose lives they destroy, 
Also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And I believe John, in writing uh, these epistles, and they're called epistles, but we're going to find out they're not actually, uh, First John's not actually a letter. It's a, a, a couple of sermons. But John's motivation is remembering Paul's challenge and then that some members have separated themselves from the assemblies there at these churches that he's talking about. And I believe these churches are around Ephesus. And in these churches, there's those that have left that were never uh, holy. They were never born again. And now they were seeking to destroy those churches. If you look in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, John says, Little children, little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Now, Paul, I, uh, John here, I believe, is talking about the Antichrist that will come that's still in our future. Even now are many Antichrists, and the, the, the definition here for these uh, many Antichrists is adversaries of the Messiah. They went out from us, John said. They were part of our churches, but they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest or that they might be exposed that they were not all of us. Verse 20, But ye have an unction or an anointing from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Who is that person? What does that person look like? How do you describe the person that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He answers this question. He is Antichrist, an adversary of the Messiah, if you will, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whoso denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. He that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Then also in 1 John chapter 4, look with me there in verses 1 through 3, when he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world, whereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now already is in the world. Not only did those that decided to leave these churches decide to leave, but they also decide to stir up hostility within these churches and with the believers that stayed faithful to God's word. And you see that in 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. And also clearly in 2 and 3 John as you read those two letters to two different churches. 2 John is specifically warning to a small church. 2 John, the book of 2 John, is specifically warning to a small church that these adversaries of the Messiah, when these uh, deceivers, as they're called, 
in the book of 2 John come around looking for validation and support that the church community is not to offer any. Let me repeat that. When these deceivers, when these adversaries of the Messiah, these false teachers come around and look to be accredited by us, the church is not to offer any. And then you look in the third John. Uh, John is writing to a trusted church member and a friend named Gaius. That's a member of that church. That's a leader in that church. Asking him to welcome legitimate missionaries that will be arriving soon. That's one thing that can be said about Cornerstone Baptist Church. We're always welcoming those that want to come in, those that are going abroad, those that are going to be missionaries of the true gospel, our doors are open. You're welcome here at Cornerstone. That's a positive thing that's been on this church long before I came, 20 some odd years ago. This church has always been a church that has been mission-minded and always, always look to those missionaries and look to the needs of those missionaries. You know what? As, as, as Paul was talking to these church leaders back there at Milas, he was giving them direction so that one day when they stood before God, because he talked about the flocks that they were over, one of these days all the pastors that have been at Cornerstone Baptist Church that have been missionary-minded, there's going to be a crown of glory for them. There's going to be a crown of salvation for them. And not only them, but also members here that participate in missions. Because the Bible says that that has been credited to our account. That's one thing to look forward to when we get to heaven. Just one of the many things to look forward to when we get to heaven. <clears throat> but John had to write to Gaius here because there was an issue. Because one of his church members, if you look there, and, and let me just emphasize this morning, this is going to be an overview of these three books. And hopefully a challenge for you to get in there and say, hey, I want to see what this book says. First John is a must for every believer. If you're a believer here this morning and you haven't read First John, you need to get in there because it's for you. It talks to children, it talks to middle-aged uh, Christians, and it talks to adult Christians. It talks to us all. It's, it's so great. But it'll be an overview this morning. And so as we, as we move on, uh, there was a gentleman in this church where Gaius was at. His name was Diotrephes. And plainly spoken, he was acting like a jerk to anybody who would, had any connection with the Apostle John. He, he, he would push him away. Oh, you know, John, you're a follower of John. Well, you're not welcome here. God help us that we never have an attitude that anybody that walks through those doors back there will not be welcome at Cornerstone Baptist Church. No matter where they come from, no matter what their past is. As I told the class this morning, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, but Abraham and Sarah specifically, this is one of those times that I'm not a multitasker. I'm, I'm still thinking about what I taught in my Sunday school class. But they created one of the greatest sins that ever happened on planet Earth. When Abraham married Hagar and had that child, Ishmael. 
It affected every generation from the day that he was born to us exactly today, right now. That one sin did. But you know what? As I told my class this morning, God did not throw them away. Isaac was still born to Sarai in an old age, and he has blessed the world in such a way that has never been blessed before and given us the Lord Jesus Christ to die on our cross for our sins, to be rose three days later by the power of God and sits at the right hand of God. And by that, we all have salvation. So the greatest sin and the greatest blessing came from Sarah and Abraham. These three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, these each give us a window back into the first century church, and it shows us that they worked through tension and frustration just as we do today. 1 John is written in response to the issues that they were having in those churches uh, in 1st and 2nd and, 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 and 3rd John. John reassures the churches in the years 0095 and to the churches that will be here if God tarries in 2095 that He is God, He's coming back, and all them, as long as they adhere to the truth, that God will be with them. And all of us that are members of those churches, whether it was in 0095, those, those folks back there in that first century church, or whether it's churches today or churches in the future, God will be with us conditionally. And what is that condition? We follow His commandments. Well, now that's the hard part. Now the... the I, t I titled this message this morning, Plagiarizing 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Because that's exactly what I'm doing. These writings of John is because 1 John is more than an epistle, of, as I've already mentioned. It's more than a letter, though that's what an epistle is. It's made up of two different sermons derived from the teachings of Jesus in, in, in the book of John, the gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17, compounding on those thoughts of the life and the truth and the love with a cycle of repetition, with hyperbole, and a stark contrast of simple images, light and dark, hate and good, and evil. Now these two different sermons are also marked by, uh, and air quotes here, this is the message. If you would, look with me in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. How does he... Uh, 1 John, excuse me, chapter 1. And verse 5. How does it begin there? At the beginning of the paragraph. Then... This, then, is the message. Now look with me over in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11. And understand chapter and verse breaks are actually not part, they're not, they're not inspired, if you will. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11, this is the beginning of the second message. This is the beginning of the second sermon where it starts there in verse 11. And it says, For this 
is the message. So if I could plagiarize these two messages this morning, just like going online and pulling some other preacher's message down online and using it this morning, that's what I want to do with John this morning. But first for context, in John's introduction here, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, two terms are used. First term that is used is we. That which was from the beginning, which we... And talking about we here, Paul is referring to those apostles who had an uh, eye account of Jesus Christ as he walked the earth today, or back then, as he walked the earth in his day. That's the we. And then he's also, the, the next one is you. Um, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. The actual word is ye, but the other word that we could use there is you, which refers to the next generation, and so on, and so on, until us today. And then the third, there's a third term that's used there, and it's that word fellowship. That word fellowship, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon uh, with our hands and have handled the word of life, uh, and then we get down into verse 3, talking about the Word, and the Word's Jesus Christ coming directly from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1. In verse 3 he says, That which ye have seen and have heard declare unto you that ye shall also have fellowship. That word fellowship right there is actually the Greek word koinonia. And its, it's actual meaning, uh, as it's expanded, is participate, participation or sharing, fellowship, participation or sharing with God and the Son through the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, participation in a relationship of God's love. And see, that's where I think we miss the boat today. I honestly think that's where we miss the boat today, God's love. We come in, we come Sunday in, Sunday out. We come in Wednesdays and may come on Saturdays and, and, and go out and visit. But why do we do that? Why do we do that? Do we do, do we do it out of obligation? Yeah, I guess there's a little bit of that that should be true. Out of obligation because we love our church. We want to see our church grow. We'd like to see one day a new building added somewhere, more parking lot added on the other side. Yeah, that's, that's true, and, and, and I guess that should be a part of it. But the single most important thing, remember what we said earlier, the most important thing about us is what we think about God. Well, do we actually know, do we really take into account day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, how much God loved us and what He did for us on the cross of Calvary? Therein lies our motivation. Your marriage, what's, what's the motivation there? There's a love there that, that causes you day in and day out to work at that marriage because you love that one that you're married to. You have a relationship with them. You have a certain sense of intimacy with them. You know things about them that nobody else knows and they know things about you that nobody else knows. That's exactly your relationship with your Heavenly Father. That's exactly your relationship with God. He loves you. And we ought to love Him. But can you search your heart at this moment and say, I love God? Oh, what a question. What a question. Do you love God? Well, that's his second sermon. He talks about that love. The first sermon that begins in chapter 1 and verse 5 and ends in chapter 3 and verse 10 
John zeroes in on another core idea that God is light. Now stick with me now and we'll move quickly. The sermon gives us an an image that uh, if a believer wants to participate in God's own life through Jesus Christ, they must walk in the light. And what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in the light? It means simply obey Jesus' commands. Jesus is like, El Paso, Dayton. How dark is that? How dark? Though the first El Paso happened in broad daylight, it was a dark, dark event covered by evil. By evil. It's not the problem of some kid that's, that's mentally unstable, though he may be. It's not the problem of too many guns out there, too easy to get a hold of. It's not the rhetoric that's going forth on politic stations all over the world. It's none of that. It's pure evil. And it's darkness. And what does light do to darkness? In any element that it ever happens in, it is no, uh, there is no way that light cannot overcome the darkness when it's present. Any room. You turn on a light, you see light. And that's what uh, God wants us to walk in. He doesn't want us to walk in the darkness of evil. Because whether it's a little white lie whether it's a little problem in our character and what we look at on the computer, whether it's a little problem in how we conduct business at work, it is evil. And evil, those small links become a bigger chain as more links are hooked together. And that chain becomes stronger and stronger as those links get bigger and bigger and sin grows and grows and evil grows and grows. But God doesn't want us to walk in darkness. He wants us to to, to follow His commandments. And what's the first thing to being able to follow instructions? What must you do that we men hate to do? Read the instructions. It comes from a love of His Word. It comes from a love of wanting to do right. It comes from a love for God. Let me ask you again this morning. Do you love God? Can you search yourself and say, I love God, and prove it by the time you spend in devotions and in His Word? That's convicting for me. And I'll bet it's pretty convicting for the majority in here this morning. Could you love God more by spending more time in His Word and being exposed to more light? You know, it's really hard to do in our culture today, and I try real hard in this message not to go total uh, counter culture. I know how bad our culture is out there, and you know how bad our culture is out there. But you know what? Cultures have been overcome. We have things that happen through Europe called the Great Awakenings. Uh, Israel over and over and over and over fell into uh, deep debauchery in their culture, and after uh, they repented, after judgment came, 
they too become a godly nation again. But I don't want to follow that stream this morning. Just let me place that thought in your mind as it applies to each and every one of us personally. In the book of John, chapter 1 and verse 9, Christians are given what I want to call sort of an an out. An out. We confess our sins. Why, God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And He's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you know what? That was not given to us to be cyclical in our lives. It's not to be something that we're to return to and to return to and to return to because no repentance for that past sin is evident in our life. Amen. We fall back on it, I think, way too often and we're so eager to say, you know what, I I messed up, but, you know, God's faithful in 1 John 1, 9. If I just ask Him to forgive me, uh, it's going to be okay. Yep, and then next week I'm caught doing the same thing. It's not the purpose of 1 John 1, 9. You're to repent and once again get out of the darkness, get into the light, follow His commandments. So which commands? John gives us a starting point uh, where we can start at with these commands. In, uh, 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 in verse 10, look with me there in, in verse 10. Hold on, I don't think that's correct. Turn with me to, to the book of John, the gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 13. In chapter 13, look in verse 34. These words are read, which means what? Not coming from anybody but the man himself. A new commandment I give unto you, that you what? You love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. So Jesus is speaking here. Jesus is speaking here. I'm to... Love Mrs. Brandt the way Jesus loved me. Now, her and I, we have our differences. You know, we get along pretty well. We like to have fun with each other. But I'm calling to love her as Jesus loved me. How did Jesus love me? Arms wide open, right? Arms wide open. There's other folks in here probably don't have the highest respect for me. But you're commanded to love me just as Jesus loved you. Arms wide open. This changes the whole way that people think 
and the way that a church should get along, the way that a church should love each other. This is, man, this is the place to be right here when we can come in and we actually know, just as the question was a while ago, do I love God? Do I love Mrs. Brandt? Do I love Bryce? Do I love Dwayne? I'm called to. That's where Jesus told us to start. We can start by showing others brotherly love. Jesus went on. How did Jesus serve his disciples? How did Jesus serve his disciples prior to the Last Supper? He got down. He girded himself with a towel. He got a basin. And he got down on his knees. And he worshipped the disciples' feet. And you know what? There was one disciple that wasn't willing to accept it until Jesus explained to him, you don't let me serve you. You don't love me. Then what did he say? You can give me a bath. You know, wash me all over. And back over to 1 John. Let's get over there right quick. It was not in chapter 1. It was in chapter 2. It just came to mind. Where John, once again, he's repeating what he wrote over there in the gospel. And he says, He that loveth his brother abideth in the what? Abideth in the light. That's where we're to be. We're to love our brothers. We're to love our sisters. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. You're serving your brothers. They know all about you. You're serving your sisters. They know all about you. There's no occasion to study. Why? Because you're a, you're a, they know you. They know when there's an issue. They're willing to say, hey, they love you back. You know, there might be a problem here when you need to talk to the pastor about it. There's a problem here that we need to talk about. When you have a close relationship, you notice those things. Husband and wife. Does a wife know when something's wrong with her husband? Does a husband know when something's wrong with his wife? Yeah, the doors get, they get banged a little bit harder in the kitchen. Doors get shut a little bit harder. Doors got to be taken off the hinges sometimes. But you know. And it's the same way here, folks, in the love. We're a church family. We love each other. And we're called to love each other. And that's the beginning to walking in the light. So that's walking in the light. Now, right now, God's light is shining through Jesus, and we are participating in that light. Where the light is, the darkness passes away, evil goes away, and that means that believers have victory over sin and death that reign in the world. Why? Because, as I mentioned earlier, like in El Paso and like in Dayton, that's where the darkness is happening at. Those that walk in the light are not part of that evil that's happening. You want to know what the answer to our ills are in our culture? It's Jesus Christ getting people saved and teaching them, discipling them to walk in the light. The government can force down every rule that they want to, but that does not affect people's hearts. Only Jesus Christ affects people's hearts. This leads John to challenge the churches. Don't love the world 
because the world also is passing away too, as evil will one of these days when it's buried in hell. John is specifically referring to these churches. He's talking about pride and purity, probably part of an ongoing conflict in the church that he has to, has to call them out in the first place. And let's just think about that. Those are the two major things in our world today. If we really sit down and are honest, are our issues, our pride, God hates it. It's mentioned over and over, God hates pride. When we think that we are somebody and we put ourselves in place of God and put ourselves over God in our lives and in other people's lives, and also purity. Sexual debauchery follows every fall of every nation that's ever fallen. And it's where we're at today. And a person can read Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 21 and see what was happening in Rome in Paul's day is what's happening in the United States today and in Europe today. And you can compare it to the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, and it was part of the issue. Purity. We don't put that up there and say, hey, this is, this is something that's big. This is something that should be at the top of the list. We don't put purity there anymore. Somebody's living together, no big deal. Whether it's two men or two women, no big deal. We're expected to accept it. We're archaic if we don't. Wrong is still wrong. Genesis to Revelation. Wrong is still wrong. Right is still right. It's black and white in most cases. It's black and white in most cases when discerning darkness from light. In the first sermon here, John warns the church family to beware of the adversaries of the Messiah. Uh, not because they won't conform, but because they never believe the gospel. Nobody, nobody who is not willing to get saved, and I'll even go as far as somebody that's not willing to be baptized, be immersed, follow that first commandment, should ever have any input to the way God's church is run. John concludes the first sermon by contrasting the children of God walking in the light and the children of Satan walking in darkness because evil, all evil, comes out of the darkness and comes from Satan. And my friend, it begs the question, where are you today? It is your choice either to hang out in the darkness or to step into the light. It's a question we need to ask ourselves. It's not a question we just need to ask ourselves by somebody preaching on Sunday, but it's a question that we need to ask ourselves each and every day, at the beginning and at the end. Where was I today? Was I in the light, or did I tend to stay in the darkness? Stay over there where I'm not supposed to. Stay over there in an area that does not glorify the God that paid the price on the cross of Calvary for me because I, I love Him, and He loved me. The second sermon begins in chapter 3 and verse 11. It's titled, God is Love. God is Love. Children should love one another and not be like Cain in Genesis chapter 4 where his hatred and envy led him to murder his brother. Murder his brother. 
My, what evil will take us to do. The first two brothers that ever lived. Unbelievable. This is the way it began. You understand, sin is not very old here. Sin is not very old. Sin is brand new upon the earth. And already Cain has murdered his brother out of envy for his religion. You know, there's Christians that are dying all over the world today. There are Christians in other countries that are paying the ultimate price for what they believe. They're trying to walk in the light. They're trying to share in the love of Jehovah. And they're paying the ultimate price by those who hate God and those who are the the root of evil. For and among believers, love is defined as sacrificing one's life for the well-being of others. Let me say it again. For and among believers... Love is defined as sacrificing my life for the well-being of others. You might say, come on, Randy. You're going to have to give me a scripture to that. Well, I'm happy to do that. It's another one of those great 316s, except it's in 1 John 316. Bible says, John says here, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath the world's good and seeth his brother have a need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know what? Saturday there was a group of 12 that got together and went out to share the gospel with others. Saturdays, probably some of them's only really day off. Yet they were out sharing the gospel with others. They were sharing part of their life. They were given part of their life so that others may see the light. That's what we're called to do. That's the bullseye of John's second sermon. Sacrificing one life for the well-being of others. That's what Jesus did when God's children trusted the love for them. And that type of love, it has the capability of changing each and every one of us. It changed me. I'm a terrible person. I'm a rotten person. But I'm thankful that one day that the love of God came in and changed my life. Am I what I ought to be? No, not even close. But I'm still God's. I'm a a work in progress as, as we all are. Now I warned you about repetition early on. And John, he, he, he uses repetition. And once again, John warns against those deceivers, uh, but this time calls them false prophets in chapter 4 and verse 1. And it's important to protect 
Christ's church. I think we need to understand that this morning. It's very important to protect Christ's church. Why? Because he loved it so much that he gave himself for it. And when we deny, when they deny Jesus as the Messiah, these folks that are coming into these churches, they seem to be the ones that are speaking for God. Now, how often do you, are you look, watching one of the, the talking heads on the television, and he seems to be, we, we have one of the, uh, we have one of the uh, presidential uh, guys running for the, on the Democratic side, and each time on both of his opportunities uh, in the debates, he stood up and he was the one that was taking God's side. And how does he live his life as a homosexual? You've got to be careful. Isaiah warns us about calling evil good and good evil. And that's where we are today. And a man in direct violation of Romans chapter 1 can stand up and act as he's speaking for God and putting us down because we look down at him for going against what God has given us in his word. We're to stand up. We're to stand up and we're to show the love of God. God warns us against those type people in the second sermon of 1 John. We see on the cross... God is a total being of self-giving love. And that love is what compels believers to share the same type of love to others. Or at least it should. Once again, I ask you, can you actually claim in your heart of hearts with all honesty that you love God? Chapter 4, verse 21, And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So if you love God, what am I going to see out of you? I'm going to see you loving your brother. I'm going to see you loving your sister also. In ways that can be noticed. In ways that can be identified. As our prior verse said, not just in words and not just in tongue, but in deeds. And I, I can stand before you this morning uh, I have seen many, many acts of love among you church members going out to brothers and sisters just because of some of the things that I see. I've seen it happen. This is active in this church. So for us, it's more of a charge to say, you know what, keep it up. Keep it up. Show God's love to others in deeds not just in words and tongue. This love is love that brings victory mixed with faith. Chapter 5, verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. A perfect God so loves you and he's crazy about you despite your deepest flaws and failures. That type of love ought to ground your entire life. You know what? When we buy something new, we love it at first. I mean, we're crazy about it. Now catch this. Please catch this this morning. When we first got married, 
we was crazy about our spouse. Absolutely head over heels. When we were dating, we were crazy about them. Wanted to be with them. Went to nothing stopped us. We went to all lengths to, to see that person. You remember that feeling? Is there anything that you've had in your life that you can remember that feeling? Well, with us, that feeling goes away. Yeah, we still love that spouse, but are we as crazy and do the stupid things that we did when we were dating? No, we generally don't. If you do, God bless you, brother. You're a greater man than I am. But you know what? God hasn't lost any of that. God is still crazy about us. God is still crazy about us. That's the reason He gave His Son. That's the act of love. So have you trusted in the crucified Jesus? Do you trust His Word? Answer those questions. Because the correct answer to those questions directs your eternity. Directs your eternity. Where you will spend forever. So I want to end where we started. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. I've shared just a little bit of understanding that John gave us this morning. Do you know Him? Do you really know Him? Do you love Him? And are you walking in the light? And if the answer is no to any of those three questions, you can take care of that this morning. You can walk out of here a completely changed person, as we've already mentioned. In the very last verse, we make it all the way through 1 John in time. Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. You know what that means? Resist making God in your image. Don't make Him as small as you. Because a God as small as you has no power. But the God of creation has unlimited power to affect and work in your life this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, ask you, Lord, to bless the reading of your word, Lord, in the hearts of the people that have heard it this morning, Lord. Not what they've heard from me, Lord, but what they've seen from your word. Challenge them, Lord, to walk in the light. Challenge them, Lord, to renew their love for you each and every day. Challenge them, Lord, if they've lost that first love, to renew it today. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.